Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we discussed chapters 15 and 16, in which we read about the founding of Gondolin, the Hidden Vale, and the origin of Maeglin, the son of Arethel and the White, and Ael. Today we begin chapter 17 of The Coming of Men into the West, which is found on page 40, 140, that is, of the second edition. When 300 years and more were gone since the Noldor came to Beleriand in the days of the Long Peace, Finrod Felagund, Lord of Nagorothrand, journeyed east of Syrian and went hunting with Maglor and Maethros, son of Feanor. But he wearied of the chase and passed on alone towards the mountains of Ered Lindon that he saw shining afar. And taking the dwarf road, he crossed Gelion at the ford of San Athrad, and turning south over the upper streams of Asgar, he came into the north of Osiriand. In a valley among the foothills of the mountains, Below the springs of Thalos, he saw lights in the evening, and far off he heard the sound of song. At this he wondered much, but the green elves of that land lit no fires, nor did they sing by night. At first he feared that a raid of orcs had passed the Liga of the North, but as he drew near he perceived that it was not so, for the singers used a tongue that he had not heard before neither that of dwarves nor of orcs. Then Felagund, standing silent in the night shadow of the trees, looked down into the camp, and there he beheld a strange people. Now these were a part of the kindred and following of Beor, the old, as he was afterwards called, a chieftain among men. After many lives of wandering out, in the east, he had led them at last over the blue mountains, the first of the race of men to enter Beleriand. And they sang because they were glad and believed that they had escaped from all perils and had come at last to a land without fear. Long Felagund watched them and love for them stirred in his heart, but he remained hidden in the trees until they had fallen asleep. Then he went among the sleeping people and sat beside their dying fire where none kept watch. And he took up a rude harp which Beor had laid aside and he played music upon it such as the ears of men had not heard for they had not as yet no teachers in the art save only the dark elves in the wildlands. Now men awoke and listened to Felagund as he harped and sang and each thought that he was in some fair dream until he saw that his fellows were awake also beside him. But they did not speak or stir while Felagund still played because of the beauty of the music and the wonder of the song. Wisdom was in the words of the elven king, and the hearts grew wiser that hearkened to him. For the things of which he sang, of the making of Arda 
and the bliss of Amman, beyond the shadows of the sea, came as clear visions before their eyes, and his elvish speech was interpreted in each mind according to its measure. Thus it was that men called King Felagund, whom they first met of all the Eldor, Nom, that is wisdom, in the language of all the people, and after him they named his folk Nomin, the wise. Indeed, they believed at first that Felagund was one of the Valar, of whom they had heard rumor that they dwelt far in the west, and this was, some say, the cause of their journeying. But Felagund dwelt among them and taught them true knowledge, and they loved him and took him for their lord, and were ever after loyal to the house of Finarfin. Now the elder were beyond all other peoples skilled in tongues, and Felagund discovered also that he could read in the minds of men such thoughts as they wished to reveal in speech, so that their words were easily interpreted. It is said also that these men had long had dealings with the dark elves east of the mountains, and from them had learned much of their speech. And since all the languages of the Quendi were of one origin, the language of Beor and his folk resembled the elven tongue in many words and devices. It was not long, therefore, before Felagund could hold converse with Beor. And while he dwelt with him, they spoke much together. But when he questioned him concerning the arising of men and their journeys, Beor would told a few tales of their past, and the silence had fallen upon their memory. A darkness lies behind us, Beor said, and we have turned our backs upon it, and we do not desire to return thither in thought. Westward our hearts have been turned, and we believe that there we shall find light. But it was said afterwards among the Eldar that when men awoke in Hildorian at the rising of the sun, the spies of Morgoth were watchful, and tidings were soon brought to him. And this seemed to him so great a matter that secretly under the shadow he himself departed from Angband and went forth into Middle-earth, leaving to Sauron the command of the war. Of his dealings with men, the Eldar knew nothing at that time and learnt but little afterwards, but that a darkness lay upon the hearts of men, as the shadow of the kinslaying and the doom of Mandos lay upon the Noldor. They perceived clearly even in the people of the Elfrens whom they first knew. To corrupt or to destroy whatsoever arose new and fair was ever the chief desire of Morgoth, and doubtless he had this purpose also in his errand, by fear and lies to make men the foes of the Eldar, and bring them up out of the east against Beleriand. But this design was slow to ripen, and was never wholly achieved. For men, it is said, were at first very few in number, where Morgoth grew afraid of the growing power and union of the Eldar, and came back to Angband, leaving behind at that time but few servants, and those of less might and cunning.
Now, Felugand learned from Beor that there were many other men of like mind who were also journeying westward. Others of my own kin have crossed the mountains, he said, and they are wandering not far away. And the Haladin, a people from whom we are sundered in speech, are still in the valleys on the eastern slopes, awaiting tidings before they venture further. There are yet other men whose tongue is more like to ours, with whom we have had dealings at times. They were before us on the western march, but we passed them, for they are numerous people, and yet keep together and move slowly, being all ruled by one chieftain whom they call Marash. Now the green elves of Osirians were troubled by the coming of men, when they heard that a lord of the Eldar from over the sea was among them, they sent messengers to Felagun. Lord, they said, if you have power over these newcomers, bid them return by the ways which they have came, or else go forward. For we desire no strangers in this land to break the peace in which we live. And these folks are hewers of trees and hunters of beasts. Therefore, we are their unfriends, and if they will not depart, we shall afflict them in all the ways that we can. Then, by the advice of Felagund, Beor gathered all the wandering families and kindred of these people, and they removed over Gelion and took up their abode in the lands of Amrod and Amras, upon the east banks of the Kelon, south of Nan Elamoth near the borders of Doriath. And the name of that land thereafter was Estolad, the encampment. But when, after a year had passed, Felagund wished to return to his own country, Beor begged leave to come with him, and he remained in the service of the king of Nargothrond while his life lasted. In this way he got his name, Beor, which whereas his name before had been Balan, for Beor signified a vassal in the tongue of his people. The rule of his folk he committed to Baran, his elder son, and he did not return again to Estelad. Soon after the departure of Felagan, the other men of whom Beor had spoken came also into Beleriand, First came the Haladin, but meeting the unfriendship of the green elves, they turned north and dwelt in Thargelion, in the country of Caranthe, son of Feanor. There, for a time, they had peace, and the people of Caranthe paid little heed to them. In the next year, Marach left, led his people over the mountains. They were a tall and warlike folk, marching in ordered companies, and the elves of Osirian hid themselves and did not waylay them. But Marach, uh, hearing that the people of Beor were dwelling in a green and fertile land, came down the dwarf road and settled in the country south and east of the dwellings of Baran, son of Beor. And there was a great friendship between those people. Felagun himself often returned to visit men, 
and many other elves out of the Westlands, both Noldor and Sindar, journeyed to Estelad, being eager to see the Edain, whose coming had long been foretold. Now, Atani, the second people, was given the name given to men in Valinor, in the law that told of their coming. But in the speech of Beleriand, that name became Adain, and it was there only used of three kindreds of the elf friends. Fingolfin, as the king of all the Noldor, sent messengers of welcome to them, and then many young and eager men of the Adain came and went away and took service with the kings and the lords of the Eldar. Among them was Malach, son of Marach, and he dwelt in Hithlum for 14 years. And he heard and learned the elven tongue and was given the name of Aradan. The Edain did not long dwell content in Estelad, for many still desired to go westward. But they did not know the way. Before them lay the fences of Doriath, and southward lay Syrian and its impassable fens. Therefore the kings of the three houses of the Noldor, seeing hope of strength in the sons of men, sent word that any of the Edain that wished might remove and come to dwell among their people. In this way the migration of the Edain began. At first, little by little, but later... In families and kindreds, they arose and left Estelad, until after some fifty years, many thousands had entered the lands of the kings. Most of these took the long road northwards, until the ways became well known to them. The people of Beor came to Dorthonion and dwelt in lands ruled by the house of Finarfin. The people of Aradan, for Marach, his father, remained in Estelad until his death, for the most part went on westward, and some came to Hithlum. Magor, son of Aradan, and many of the people passed down Syrian and Beleriand, and dwelt a while in the vales of the southern slopes of the Eredwethrin. It is said that in all these matters, none save Finrod Felagun took counsel with King Thingol, and he was ill-pleased, both for that reason and because he was troubled by dreams concerning the coming of men, ere ever the first tidings of them were heard. Therefore he commanded that men should take no lands to dwell in save in the north, and that the princes whom they served should be answerable for all that they did. And he said, Into Doriath shall no man come while my realm lasts, not even those into the house of Baor who serve Finrod the Beloved. Melian said nothing to him at that time. But afterwards she said to Galadriel, Now the world runs so swiftly to great tidings. And one of men, even of Beor's house, shall indeed come. And the girdle of Melian shall not restrain him. For doom greater than my power shall send him. And the songs that shall spring from that coming shall endure when all Middle-earth is changed. 
But many men remained in Estelad. There was still a mingled people living there long years after, until the ruin of Beleriand, they were overwhelmed or fled back into the east. For beside the old who deemed that their wandering days were over, there were not a few who desired to go their own ways, and they feared the Eldar in the light of their eyes. And then dissensions awoke among the Edain, in which the shadow of Morgoth may be discerned. For certain is it that he knew of the coming of men into Beleriand and of their growing friendship with the elves. The leaders of discontent were Berg of the house of Beor and Amlach, one of the grandsons of Marach. And they said openly, we took long roads desiring to escape the perils of Middle-earth and the dark things that dwell there. For we had heard that the light in the west but now we learn that the light is beyond the sea. Thither we cannot come where the God dwell in be bless, save one. For the Lord of the dark is here before us, and the Eldar, wise but fell, who make endless war upon him. In the north he dwells, they say, and there is the pain and death from which we fled. We will not go that way. Then a council and assembly of men was called, and great numbers came together. And the elf friends answered Berg, saying, Truly, from the dark king come all the evils from which we fled. But he seeks dominion over all Middle-earth, and whither now shall we turn, and he will not pursue us, unless we be vanquished here, or at least held in Liga. Only by the valour of the Eldar is he restrained, and maybe it was for this purpose to aid them at need, that we were brought into this land. To this, Berg answered, Let the Eldar do it. Our lives are short enough. But there arose one who seemed to all to be Amlach, son of Imlach, speaking fell words that shook the hearts of all who heard him. All this is but elvish law. Tales to beguile newcomers that are unwary. The sea has no shore. There is no light in the west. You have followed a full fire of the elves to the end of the world. Which of you has seen the least of the gods? Who has beheld the dark king in the north? Those who seek the dominion of Middle-earth are the Eldar. Greedy for wealth, they have delved in the earth for its secrets and have stirred to wrath the things that dwell beneath it and they have ever done and ever shall. Let the orcs have realm that is theirs, and we will have ours. There is room in the world, if the Eldar will let us be. Then those that listened sat, for a while astounded, and a shadow of fear fell on their hearts. They resolved to depart from the lands of the Eldar, but afterwards Amlach returned among them, and denied that he had been present at their debate, or had spoken such words as they reported. And there was doubt and bewilderment among men. Then the elf friend said, You will now believe this at least, that there is indeed a dark lord, and his spies and emissaries are among us, for he fears us and strength that we may give to his foes. But still some answered, He hates us, rather and ever the more, the longer we dwell here. 
meddling in his quarrel with the kings of the Eldar, to no gain of ours. Many, therefore, of those that yet remained in Estelad made ready to depart, and Bereg laid a thousand of the people of Baor away southwards. And they passed out of the songs of those days. But Amlak repented, saying, I have now a quarrel of my own with this master of lies, which will last to my life's end. And he went away north and entered the service of Methros. But those of his people who were of like mind with Bereg chose a new leader, and they went back over the mountains into Eriador and are forgotten. All right. We are going to be going back to the old way of doing our episodes. So we didn't read a full chapter. Um, we're partway through, but let's summarize that real quick so we can have our discussion. So while traveling east um, in Beleriand and Osiriad, Finrod Felagund encounters the first men to come to the west. He wins their hearts with his beautiful music and his wisdom, and the men take him for their lord. Even to Beor, the chieftain of men, man's history is opaque. Men too have been sundered, and there exist various groups with distinct languages. Two other groups of men, the Haladin and the people of Marash, entered Beleriand and settled. For the most part, both the Noldor and the Sindar welcome men. Notably, the Green Elves do not welcome men, and Thingol forbids them from entering Doriath. And men spread throughout Beleriand, dwelling amongst the Noldor. Beor jo joins Felagund in Nargothrond. Some men become discontent with their partnership with the Elves. One seeming to be Amlach, son of Marach gives a speech that persuades many men to depart from Beleriand. Later, Amlak denies having spoken such and comes to believe that some servant of Morgoth made an attempt to sow division by impersonating him. Many men leave Beleriand for good, but Amlak enters of the service of Mithros and dedicates his life in opposition to Morgoth. That's, uh, I like that sequence. I thought it was pretty cool. I agree. Yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff here. Yeah. I like your character voices. I always appreciate that too. You know. Yeah, but they're not I, consistent. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> if these characters ever show up again, they'll have an Irish accent next time. <laughs> <laughs> I had to really reference the index at the end of the book several times because I'm like okay who's Finrod again and okay Lord of Nargothrond what is that again yeah <laughs> and Nargothrond is that is the great underground city it's one of the major capitals of um of Middle Earth and Finrod Felagund is the lord of that area and um it's just interesting how he discovers men. Um, I like this encounter. And we meet Beor, the old. Is Beor in Lord of the Rings? No. I think I accidentally said Beorn. I think I added Oh, Beorn. Oh, I think that's I who it is. In okay. the first time I said it, I, I, well, 
well, I'm not sure if I did, but I think I did because I was definitely thinking of Bayonne. Yeah, okay, um, that's who I was thinking yeah. of actually. So <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah. Um, but he's the he's the leader of the first men to enter Balerion. So he's like the man's man. He's like Adam. He's like the OG. Yeah. I love uh, I love this encounter of Finrod with Feligand with with the men. He just um, well, first of all, what catches his attention is he hears the sounds of song. So that kind of says something about men already, that they're a people who sing. And mm. I, I like to imagine they have kind of simpler songs. Like, they sing like the, you know, the pub songs. They don't yeah. sing like the high music, the right. polyphony that the elves sing. They sing like yeah. drinking songs yeah. at night while they're around <laughs> the campfire, right? Sounds like a and good time. It does, with their harps. They still do yeah. have harps, though. It's very elegant. Ele- very elegant drinking songs. But yeah. But then... Uh, um. Feligan just comes and picks up Bayer's harp and just starts playing, you know. So I just imagining that scene. I'm thinking like, um, apparently they both have harps. Elves have harps and men have harps and stuff. But I just picture like the kind of the equivalent of these men having this like crusty old fiddle, and then Feligan comes and just plays like paganini or something on it and and just like astounds them with what he's able to do with this instrument how do you make a fiddle crusty like that's what i can't understand <laughs> well i mean it might could be like rusty and it was like, like use it as a straw period and yeah, yeah. i have to remind myself that the elves are not men like when I, when we read the story and we're with elves for so long i just right. assume they're kind of like me Right. But then we meet the men. It's like, oh, yeah, they're a completely different race. Right. And we, whereas Lord of the Rings, you know, follows the story of, you know, all the races. It's like this is much more focused on the elves. And that, so I, I have to clarify and that. What it reminded me of this this little bit where they encounter Felagan, they make them, they pretty much make him their king right away. Like they love his yeah. music and they love his wisdom. It reminds me of that quote from, I think it's from C.S. Lewis, where he says, like, a, a, a heavenly, like a person who, who's been glorified, like, if we encountered them today, we'd be tempted to worship them. Yeah. You know, they'd be such a magnificent creature. And that's just the people that are in our day-to-day lives, these eternal creatures that um, we mock and we um, argue with and all this stuff, right? We we don't necessarily treat each other very well, but they, but they see this more clearly than we do as readers. This like gap in dignity between elves and men, and he, obviously he's like one of the high kings, so um, he's like especially, you know, he's he's part of at that peak of created beings. But they they pretty much just make him their king right away. <laughs> and I wonder what you guys think about that. Like, do you think? I don't know. What is your impression of that? Because I kind of like that they. Like they just had this affection for him, it seems like, and they wanted to follow him and he was good to them. But I feel like you could also read it in a way where he's kind of condescending or, um, you know, he's so powerful compared to them that he just like um, overshadows I, it. I, I read it as a, a, you know, mutual friendship because they share song. You're talking about Finrod, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they begin with song together and they're telling stories and Finrod's relationship with them is built more on wonder than on 
you know, trying to control them or anything like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, the reason I asked that is because eventually many of them do submit to his service. And it's willful that they do that, but they, a lot of these men kind of latch on to different elf kings and princes and like become their servants. Yeah, I mean, so w when they first, like, thus it was that men called King Felagund. Um, is that them making him a king or just giving him the title of king? No, no, no. It's, the sentence is broken up. It's like, thus, is the, thus it was that men called King Felagund gnome. That's, like, the name they gave him. He, he already, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He already they kind of is, like, the... Oh, so he's, like, that king. Okay. Well, he's pretty much the king of the Noldor. Um, by right. by heritage, like he's the the senior most of all the Noldor still. Where, where's the quote where it says where it talks about them just basically adopting him as their king too? At the bottom of that same paragraph, uh, they loved him and took him for their lord, and mm. were ever after loyal to the house of Finarfin. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I I think kind of like what you said, Greg. Earlier, I think he's just talking, is just showing us the nature of men in this world that when they meet something that is worthy of their, um, I don't want to say worship, but worthy of their admiration, admiration mm -hmm. that they kind of respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. it's just that's the kind of people which sort of makes sense with you know men being corrupted by Morgoth Sauron um seeing his power but my lord there is no such power <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that scene in Lord of the Rings because I mean great Cameron and I joke about that scene a lot for lots of different reasons but when you watch it just you see worm tongues like like just like he, he tears up with just the power like it's just so like <laughs> grotesque and like <laughs> filthy yeah <and> despicable <laughs> but like you can see like this is what i was here for. yeah this is what I was to for. tear up over power yeah. like yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. um but like men's hearts not they can be corrupted towards power um when they see it but they can also i mean in this there's a bit more of i think innocence so you can see mm -hmm. the danger. You can see mm -hmm. the danger that might come. Yeah, definitely. I I something that stuck out to me was the word unfriends. Yeah. There are yeah. unfriends. Yeah. We should unfriend them. It reminded <laughs> actually this reminded me of Lewis as well. C.S. Lewis. Uh in his um Oh Clive Space trilogy, good old Jack. He uh which one is it? It's um Perilandra. In Perilandra. Oh yes. I know what you're um, talking about. He has the unman, right? Unman, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're holding yeah. it right there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, that's great. He has the un it like there's the sort of right. unman. Um right. so that's what it made me think of, like an unfriend. There are unfriends. We should use that prefix more often, like just yeah. for creative purposes. Yeah. Do you guys yeah, have like, do you guys have unfriends? Yes. Like not enemies, but unfriends. Yeah, I mean, is it is it a step before enemies? I think it's like you you don't see them as a threat, so you don't hate them, but you just want to annoy them or 
kind of don't want to talk to them, maybe. Mm. <laughs> that sounds like, like high school. Or like, yeah, because <laughs> well, you unfriend people on Facebook, so it's oh, kind of yeah, like point. that. I'm going to go make some unfriends tonight on Facebook. <laughs> good, 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 good. <laughs> Beware, everybody. I'm just going to so unfriend the, like 50 people randomly. The, the elves see that men as unfriends because they are hewers of trees and hunters of beasts. Uh-huh. Isn't that a lie? Are they hewers of trees? Probably. Probably. Not in the same yeah. way that dwarves are, though, right? Well, I don't know why not. Are. Yeah. I think that's an observation that the elves made. It's not like a guess. Oh, like they, they, oh yeah. They, I'm guessing they saw them chopping their trees. structures and, and their fire. Well, kind of nomads at this point, though, or like semi nomadic. So maybe. Mm-hmm. What well, do okay, elves I, eat I if they don't hunt beasts? They eat fruit. Lembas bread. Lembas. More lembas bread. Um, the, well, you know, it does point out, I'm looking at 142 here, the top of it. It kind of mentions that Morgoth has a hand in all of this too. And he's mm. he has this design to, you know, divide the, the men and elves. So he's probably kind of working his trickery in the midst of all that too. Is Morgoth's character, a lot of his workings are not like active mm. right they're, they're, they're sort of going on in the background of the mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. um that's just an interesting point um that he's working we don't know how he's doing it but he's like he's working stuff well, in there somehow we have a great example of this at the end of the reading that we did that we that you just read um this this dialogue between some of the men here right and they're trying to decide if they should stay in Balerion, some of them are dissenters and they don't want to follow yeah. the elves. And then we have this mysterious figure who comes and speaks these fell words. I love this. It's the bottom of 144. It says, but there arose one who seemed to all to be Amluk, son of Imluk, mm. speaking fell words. And I, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, that doesn't seem right. You know? Was that's it like, oh, weird. that's, that's, that's Amluk, right? It would guys? just say Amluk. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's Amluk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's him. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you know that? And, yeah, like, that's <laughs> creepy. And what he says is incredible. It's very yeah. interesting. Because, you know, because it's, it's kind You're of... just sowing doubt in their minds. Yeah. Right. And it says that they went westward originally, hoping to find the Valar eventually. Like, they, they'd kind of heard about the Valar and went to seek them. And so he, he challenges them, which of you has seen the least of the gods? Who has beheld the dark king in the north? Not No one. There's like these rhetorical questions like none of you have actually seen these. It's like a scientism. It's like you yeah, don't base like, oh, your yeah. truth actually, on yeah. any yeah. kind of authority. Right. No, I didn't think of yourself. it that way. Like, well, you're right. None of us have seen. So you, you, you must be right. You know, it's <laughs> funny that you say that. I wrote the word in the margin there. I wrote the word unbelief. That's what they're, he's like trying to get them to embrace. Which yeah. which fits kind of that description that you just said too. You know, it's like um, he's not necessarily planting a big thing for them to believe, except that I guess that the Eldar. I guess maybe that's not true. He wants them to think the Eldar are the ones who are truly trying to rule the world, but he does that by sowing doubt in these things that they've held on to that there are Valar, and that there is this Dark Lord who's you know doing evil things. And um, I, it's this is this is Among Us in Silmarillion. It's um, there's this imposter there. Who's yeah, killing everyone. I love. It's so fascinating how um, Amlock responds. Right, he returns, 
and denies having ever been present at their debate or spoken the words. And he realizes, oh, there is a this this is evidence that there actually is a dark lord because his spies are among us. Mm. Greg, to I totally us. missed that. Where where does Amlet come back? Uh, it's the next paragraph. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. He denies it. And it's That's like, insane. It's, un- it's easy to miss because it's unclear whether he was actually there to start. Or yeah. Not. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where the evidence of him truly not being there to begin with is in what he, at the very end of the reading we just said, it says Amlak repented, saying, I have now my own quarrel or a quarrel of my own with this master of lies, which will last to my life's end. All right, he, listen. he kind of, Sorry. He, he declares this oath that he's now an enemy of, of Morgoth because Morgoth, um, you know, tricked them. Yeah. Tricked well, them. Morgoth, that's crazy to okay. imagine Morgoth coming to this it's, council. It's not Morgoth, according to Arda. This is what Arda, okay. uh, the encyclopedia says. Among the leaders of this ascent was Amlak, son of Imlak, a descendant of Marak. When a council was held to debate the issue, one appearing to be Amlak spoke forcefully against joining the Eldar in their war. After the council, though, it was discovered that Amlak had not even been present, and the speaker had been an emissary of Morgoth that had taken on his form. Amlak's anger at this deceit caused him to join the party of the elf friends, and he went north into Himring to enter the service of the elf lord Mithros. So that's so it's like so here we that's a great point, Greg, of like the the behind the scenes working of Morgoth. It's so subtle at times, and then at other times it's like he sends in emissaries and he sends mm-hmm. in people that are doing his work. And you don't even know they're there. Like we didn't know they were there. The elves didn't know they. Were, nobody knew where they were there. Right. Um, yeah, because Dan, you use your Italian accent for him, and <laughs> I, I was confused because <laughs> then his accent changed. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was my little like trick to make you be like, oh, wait, yeah. what is this guy? Why is the he Morgoth doing two different accent accents? was Italian, and then yeah. the other guy was British. That's how that was clever. Good job. I, I, um, yeah, I, this is just an fascinating little story here. This, this whole exchange, but what I, something I was reading too, as I was kind of wondering about this myself, but earlier we read that Morgoth no longer has the ability to change his appearance. He's, he only has the appearance of Dark Lord now. Ah, so he has to send people who still can. Yeah. That's crazy. Under some dark ways. Yeah, but how how far his ear goes, like to to hear that this is taking place and to mm. devise yeah. a plan to send someone. This is just it does make you think he has his spies everywhere. You know, like yeah. every he's like uh, your Google Home, just listening in on every single conversation, and they probably have like terrible targeted ads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This episode brought to you brought to you by Alexa, <laughs> the Google Home competitor. Yeah, the better Google Home. <laughs> All right. If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate us three Silmarils out of three. Follow us everywhere at Before the Fellowship. Join the discussion on Discord, 
and send any comments or questions to before the fellowship at gmail.com. Join us next week as we read the greatest story you've never heard. The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm.